it's time to get reconnected. Tune in every week to Enneagram Restored Podcast for Reconnected, a relationship series on how the Enneagram can be a bridge between your relationship goals and the current reality of your relationships. Hello, I'm your host, Braylon Williams, and welcome back to another episode of Enneagram Restored Podcast. For my faithful listeners, thanks for listening again. For new listeners, I hope you enjoy this episode. Well, buckle up and get ready to get reconnected because today I will talk about how type 8's love, how type 8's and the five love languages interact, the type 8's compatibility with the other types, and how type 8's can reconnect with themselves and others. Let's begin by talking about how type eights love. So eights love in a protective and distant way. And they the motivation of why they love like this, the motivation for this type of love and the anger within their love and their limitations of love stem from vulnerability. But before I start talking about that, I want to take a moment to mention that if you don't if you haven't listened to this podcast before and if you don't know who i am uh, i am a type eight so this episode like a lot of the other episodes will have a little bit more personal meaning because i get to experience this and i get to put in you know thoughts that come from my personal experience into the uh this episode too and i wish i could do that for every type but unfortunately i just cannot do that because that's not how things work but with that being said that this episode might just make a little bit more sense than any other episode because again there will be this personal connection rather than just you know here's research behind it and here's my thoughts on it so uh Again, unfortunately, I just can't make every episode like that. I wish I could because I really love the Enneagram. Oh, my gosh. So, but anyway, type eights love. There are three main aspects to the eights love that motivates the way they love. Vulnerability, emotional disconnect, and the fear of betrayal. Vulnerability. Now, this is always has been a tough subject for me will and has always be always be a tough subject for me um 
not only for me, but it's a tough topic for any eight. It's because being vulnerable means being weak and weakness doesn't allow you to establish dominance and independence, which are two of an eight's greatest goals. So there's there's this disconnect of truth. There's this disconnect between the truth about vulnerability and the practice of vulnerability to an eight. So let's start off with the truth. So what is the truth about vulnerability? I really like what um, Merriam-Webster dictionary defines vulnerability as. It defines it as being capable capable of being physically or emotionally wounded. And so, but when an eight, when someone like me who is an eight hears a definition like this, um, it, it, what we really hear is this: "You want me to give up control and become dependent in accomplishing my goals." And well, I, I just here, here's our response. I don't think so. I don't need anyone's help to accomplish my goals. And that's what an eight hears. And that's how an eight responds, in a sense, to this definition of vulnerability. It's not something we just like to, you know, really establish within ourselves. But here's where the disconnect really starts to come into play. Because you see, eights are actually one of the most emotional types of the Enneagram. And eights really long for authentic connections. But the thing is, authentic connections require vulnerability. Um, and so there's a huge disconnect how to achieve this goal of authentic connections while not being vulnerable um, really does not make sense. It really, it, it really have to take a step back and look into it again. But I really love this quote that I found while I was reading uh, Suzanne Stabile's book, The Path Between Us, An Enneagram Journey to Healthy Relationships, which, by the way, I highly recommend that you read this book and any other book that Suzanne Stabile has. Um, her books are uh, one of my favorites. I use them as one of my main sources of resources of research. I use them as one, one of my main sources of research when I uh, am doing um, the show notes for this podcast. And so they are very well written. They are, have a lot of great information. I highly recommend that you read, uh, Suzanne Stabile's books. Um, so, but this quote that I found in this book is, um, uh, is a quote by Brene Brown. Um, Brene, um, uh, Brown is a leading researcher and writer. And one of in a TED talk she gave about vulnerability, she said, vulnerability is the idea that in order for connection to happen, we have to allow ourselves to be seen, really be seen. I mean, talk about a quote that makes you stop and really just think this is one that does definitely just that. Uh, I, I was just so blown away um, when I heard this quote, um, I had to go back and I was like, all right, th this quote really has something to it. I want to know what else she has. So I had to go back and I was like, okay, I'm going to, I found the TED talk and I watched it. 
uh, really powerful TED Talk. It is really great, lots of great information within this TED Talk. So um, I highly encourage you as well to watch that. I'm actually going to have the um, link to that TED Talk in the podcast description so you can watch it if you would like. But so let, back to type eights. We have an eight whose goal is to have control, have independence, and have authentic relationships. But a healthy eight recognizes that authentic relationships require vulnerability. But having said vulnerability will cause you cause an eight to lose full control. It will, it will having vulnerability will cause an eight to lose independence and make them seem weak. So a healthy eight who is seeking real authentic authentic relationships is okay with this trade-off, honestly. Um, I have been fortunate enough here recently to experience a lot of constant level, healthy levels of me, of myself as an eight. So I've really been finding myself being okay with this trade-off of being vulnerable in order to establish these authentic connections, these authentic relationships that I desire with such veracity within me. But even though they are okay with this trade-off, they understand the truth about vulnerability, uh, and they are really seeking out authentic relationships, even, even though all those things remain true there's still a disconnect in practicing vulnerability. And this probably isn't the best analogy, but this is the way I kind of analogize it. Um, It's like building a bridge when it comes to this practice of vulnerability and the truth of vulnerability. On one end, one of the end of the bridge that's connecting the bridge to land is the end of, you know, seeking connections and seeking authentic relationships, but not being vulnerable. But on the other end of the bridge that connects the bridge to the land is um, seeking real connections, but being okay with being vulnerable. So both ends are already connected to the land. And, and those the connections between the land and the bridge are pretty sturdy. But for an eight, it, it's that middle part of the bridge that just seems to keep falling apart. Like the engineering of it is not, no matter how many different ways of engineering an eight tries, that middle part just always seems to collapse. And whichever side you're closest to, you have to run back before you fall into the deep waters. So if that bridge collapses and you're closest to the, you know, wanting connection, but not being vulnerable, you have to run back to that end. And and you have to think again, all right, how can I build this bridge to get to the other side to get to real connection and vulnerability? You have to run back. And that's typically direction it goes. The bridge collapsed, but we're still on the side of that end. So we had to go back to that end. Um, 
rarely ever. I mean, this is actually a good case if you're in the if you're walking on the bridge and, and, and it starts to collapse, but you're on the side of real connection and vulnerability, um, you've run to that. If you get there, what I mean, what's the purpose of even rebuilding the bridge? Because you have got to to your goal as an eight. But for myself, I've experienced this this disconnect a lot. Um, it, it's a constant feeling in my life. And I know it, it can be not only for me, but for a lot of people, uh, again, that practicing vulnerability and understanding the truth of vulnerability, um, there's just this disconnect. Now, so let me talk about myself a little bit um, so you can really see what I mean by this analogy. Um, I, it is my understanding that being vulnerable will not cause my friends, will not cause the people who know me to lose any respect for me or to see me as weak. In fact, uh, a lot of my friends want me to be vulnerable. They are longing for me to be more open. And, and, and I know this because, quite frankly, they have blatantly told me that they want me to be more open uh, straight to my face and i honestly respect them for that but one thing i don't tell them is it, it, it's not as easy because it goes it, it it goes to some deep trauma within me um, and when they tell me this i look them in the eye i, I keep a straight face and i'm like Okay, and but mentally and internally, when they say this, I'm like, I hear you, I understand, and I want to, but it's just tough for me to be open. It's tough for me to be vulnerable because I have past trauma that I've got to deal with. Some of this trauma I recognize, and there's some trauma that I'm, I'm just not quite sure is there yet. But I know that there's known and hidden trauma in my life that is causing me not to be open and it's causing me to lack vulnerability. So when it, for me, when I try to cross this bridge and I try to, you know, go from the truth of vulnerability and practice in it, I, I tend to have to rebuild the middle a lot because it has fallen apart, whether it's little or a lot. But the thing about building a bridge is even if it falls apart a little, you typically have to reevaluate it from the schematics. You have to reevaluate it, reevaluate it from the tiniest of beings so you can ensure that it, it won't fall apart again. Let, let me just pause and take a moment to say this. I can't wait to that day to where I am constantly open. I am constantly, constantly being vulnerable uh, and allowing myself to experience real connections because of this newfound vulnerability. And I know there are 
type eights out there who are already in that spot. And honestly, I have to say, I am envious of you. I am jealous of you because I know it took you a lot of work and I know you are really just happy in this, in that spot, in that moment of being vulnerable all the time. And you have really found happiness in life because of that. Uh, I'm kind of jealous of it, honestly, but I want to tell you about a story. This was the most recent story where this disconnect has come in for me. Um, and hopefully you can see some truth behind it um, to what I mean by the, the disconnect of practicing vulnerability and understanding the truth about vulnerability. So, and it started in, so this story starts back in May of 2021 and it, it and it ends in late September of 2021. So, uh, it's still, the story is still in motion. Um, um, so, this is only parts of it. So, but I'll try to um, do the best I can to tell you what it is. Um, and of course, it involves a woman. Uh, all great love stories do, all great stories for a male to discover him starts with, you know, a female somehow. It just seems like that. It seems like every time you hear of a male, of a man really discovering himself, if you look at the center of it all, it was because of a woman. <laughs> and this story is no different. So back in May, I had the opportunity to be a groomsman and one of my friend's wedding. Um, and there was an incident that caused me to recognize some feelings I had for one of the bridesmaids. Um, okay, um, this this recognition, this recognizing of feelings was like a snap of a finger. It was very instantaneous. I, I really didn't like. It just happened in the moment. I, it wasn't like I was contemplating all this and that, and it's like. Here's this person. No, we were just sitting around conversating, and like that, I I, I recognized. Oh wait, like I it didn't even think about it. it. Just thought I thought something in my mind. I was like, oh wait, I, I just said that to myself. Let's take a moment and realize what I just said. And so at this point of time where I recognize these feelings, I've known this person for um, at least three years, I believe. Um, if I'm counting them, if I'm doing the math right, don't hold me to that because I, math is not my strongest subject. Uh, so, I mean, but if, if I'm doing the math right, we've known each, at this point, known each other for three years. So, It's, it's okay. I see it to myself as okay to recognize these feelings. Um, I, I'm never one to push away any feelings, whether they're negative or positive. I really like to I, I tell myself, accept the feelings as they are, but let's take time to understand the feelings. And this was no different. I accepted the feelings and I took time to understand the feelings. I accepted the fact that I was in love with this bridesmaid, um, and that wasn't the problem. It, the acceptance wasn't the problem. The problem was being in love with this bridesmaid while also being in love with a girl from the church. 
who I've been in this girl from church had been tried to date for two years. Um, and so within all this, with these newfound feelings and still trying to pursue, pursue this other woman, um, I started to lose control and I was like, oh my gosh, what is happening? So I spent months trying to understand the situation. I spent the entire summer, I was like, okay. And by the end of the summer, I thought I had a good hand in the situation. I was like, okay, the thing with the girl from church is not gonna work out. So I'll try one more time um, in August when school starts to try to take her on a date. And if she says no again, that would be the end of it. And I will pursue, I will see where these new feelings for this person I've known for years leads me. And that held true to a, a certain part. Um, I did um, try one last time to take, or not really to take the girl from church out on a date, but um, really just to establish a moment of hanging out with her. I tried, led nowhere. And so I was like, all right, that obviously is not going anywhere. So let's let's pursue this. And I thought I was ready. But I wasn't. But let me back up a little bit because I kind of jumped ahead of myself in the story. Um, when I going back to the moment of reckoning recognizing these feelings for the bridesmaid, and immediately I knew I, I knew I had to text one of my friends. I was like, all right, I need to text him and see what he thinks. But at the same time, I didn't want to because I needed to have the I need to have control over the situation. I need to have have control over the story before I texted him. So to make long story short, there were many times that I had successfully rebuilt the middle of the bridge uh, throughout the summer and early August um, and early September. And I was just a footstep away from being vulnerable and having a real connection. But in the last minute, I would run back. The bridge has not collapsed in this instance, but I would run back to the other side because I just did not want to be vulnerable. Um, when I, I was, went to ask my friend for advice, I, so I would run back and it's like, okay, maybe another day, maybe another day. But by the end of September of 2021, I was feeling so burdened by, you know, these feelings. I, I, I just needed to talk with somebody. I just needed to get advice. I needed to get these feelings off my chest. And so I finally decided that I would talk with my friend and I did. Let me just say, his advice was not what I was wanting, but it was the advice that I needed. The advice I wanted was, oh, it's like, continue to try again with the girl from church. That's what I wanted to say, but that's not what he said. He said, well, I, I think, you know, you and, in this case, the bridesmaid would, you know, you should see where it goes. So it wasn't the advice I was wanting, but it was the advice that I needed because it, it, that that advice allowed me to, you know, then say, okay, maybe I do need to pursue this. 
So within it, I was like, all right, pursue, pursue. And so I tried and I thought, you know, at this moment when he gave me advice, you know, I was over the other, over the girl from church. And it's like, okay, immediately I will go and try to pursue this friend I've known for years. But it wasn't that way. And so that, that's kind of where the story ends. But it, that kind of illustrates the disconnect um, of that, you know, pr- truth of vulnerability and practicing vulnerability. I know that's a lot about vulnerability, and I'll try to move through the rest of the, the motivation of an ace love very quickly so we can move on to talk about eights and the five love languages. But the next motivation behind the way type ace love is emotional disconnect. And I kind of touched, touched on this when I was talking about vulnerability, so I'll move very briefly to this one. Eights are not afraid to feel. Uh, like I said, they are one of the most emotional types of the Enneagram. And they, so they aren't afraid to feel, but they are afraid that their feelings will betray them. So we, ho- as an eight, we hold on to these, this illusion that uh, control will be shattered when confronted with feelings that um, can't be repressed. And I just want to say that this is completely incorrect for not only eights, but it's in- completely incorrect for any type of the Enneagram because when you are confronted with irrepressible feelings, I have to admit, yes, you will lose control for a moment. Recognize how I said only a moment. Uh, let me talk to just a, this, this moment, it will only last a moment. So before I tell you why, let me t- take a moment to just to talk to other eights out there. Let's have an eight to eight conversation. I want you to recognize this. You will lose control um, when you are confronted with new feelings. That's a given. But as an eight, I want you to know that you will gain your control back. And I, I speak from experience when I say that your feelings will not betray you. It is, it is my experience that these feeling, new feelings have guided me in the correct way of life. It's, it's giving giving me guidance to um, on this journey of emotional re- restoration. So, and that's why um, you won't lose control. It seems like you lost control, yes, because you are only trying to grasp an understanding of these new feelings. But once you start to understand it it will seem like your control is coming back and it will come back again. It, you will lose control for a moment. Unfortunately, I wish I could say how long that moment will last, um, but I can't. I know for me, the moment has lasted sometimes a couple hours. The moment has lasted months. Um, the moment has lasted year or so. Uh, sometimes the moment for me has lasted only seconds. I wish I can say the moment was only such and such amount of time. But the truth is that moment varies. I hope that it's only a couple of days at max for you, but note that that moment will last a little bit longer, but you will not lose control forever. But anyway, another motive behind the way 
and eight, uh, type eight love loves is the fear of betrayal. This is a big one because eights have a list that could wrap around the world of people who have betrayed them. And honestly, again, speaking from experience, this list is not completely true because I, I've found in my life that a lot of people who I think who have betrayed me really did not betray me. And, um, what I saw as betrayal was only a misunderstanding of the situation. And, and a lot of people who study Enneagram um, will agree with me on this, is that what an eight sees as betrayal is most of the time is just a misunderstanding of the situation. Now, I want to take a moment to speak to people who are not an eight. Uh, and here's what I want you to know if you're not an eight. An eight's inner response to discovering that they have hurt you is far from mechanical. Now, you may not ever be able to tell it, but when an eight finds out that they have hurt you, they are greatly devastated because for them, this means that they have taken advantage of your vulnerability. So why is this, why does this devastate an eight so much? It's because vulnerability is something that an eight values. So when this happens, I want to advise you to do this. Instead of forcing them to talk about it right away, just offer forgiveness and sit with them. Do not pressure them to talk about it right away after it happens. Offer forgiveness and be present with them, sit with them. You will find reconnection in this way because you will allow an eight time to process such feelings. And when they when they start to understand it, eternal understand the, their feelings eternally, understand what they did wrong internally, they'll be ready to talk about it, and then even more reconnection will come from that. So let's talk about the eight's core emotion. Now, eights, along with type nine and type one, um, are in the anger triad of the Enneagram, which means anger is their core emotion. Um, so you might be wondering, how is it possible for them to seek and crave authentic relationships, you know, having anger as a core emotion? You might also be wondering how does this make sense because anger and love are opposing emotions but the way i see it is that an eight's anger is more of a righteous anger the way i see it is it's like a parent telling their child that they discipline them because they love them and that they want the best for their child That's the way I see it. Of course, there are, but that's only one stem of the way the anger goes. Of course, there are 
other stems of an ace anger that come from the natural way of perceiving anger as being hostile and such of that manner. But the way I see it, that most of the time, an ace anger is built out of love for wanting better for other people. And I can tell you that eights are not the only type that want that. Twos want best for people too. So, but for an eight, this wanting better for people is kind of expressed through anger and dominance and, you know, showing people the correct way to get what's best. So let's talk about the limitations that an eight has in expressing our love. Again, eights seek and desire real connections. They seek and desire authentic relationships, but they have limitations to this. And the first of the biggest two limitations that an eight has is in expressing their love and expressing these their emotions is their imbalance of doing and feeling. So eights um, are have have the most energy of any of the Enneagram types. Um, and so, but they focus all their energy on doing. They focus all their energy on being workaholics, honestly. Um, and I can attest to that I'm a complete workaholic. I mean, if you look at my calendar for any given day, you will see just things packed back to back to back of events, meetings, classes, things I want to get done in the day because I just want to accomplish as much as I can to accomplish a bigger goal. And that's true for any eight. I don't know if this holds true for any other eight, but I know for me at least, it, it I, I seem lost when I have nothing to do. Um, I can't remember what, it, what, why I didn't have anything to do, but there's a day about a week or so ago now that like, I just, I gotten everything done. I didn't, I, like I had a complete day of doing nothing and I, I can't think of anything to do. I couldn't even make up anything to do. I mean, I had all my personal chores done. I had, you know, clothes were washed, towels were washed, um, dishes were washed, room was clean, didn't have any homework. I, I didn't have any meetings, didn't have any rehearsals. It's like, didn't have any errands I need to run. I just could not come up with something. I just sat and sat around. I was like, what can I do? Because I felt lost. <laughs> it's like, it. I feel lost when I'm not doing so. I'm constantly thinking of the next thing to do. I'm constantly thinking the next task to take on. Again, like I said, I don't know if, if there's, if any other eights feel lost like I do when I have nothing else to do. But that that's, as an eight for me, that's what I feel like when uh, I, I have nothing to do. I feel lost. And it kind of makes sense because I was thinking back to when I was a kid the other day and in, in first grade, I, I would cry a lot because I got my work done before everybody else and the teacher did not give me anything to do. So I, I would just cry because I was bored. I know it, it seems kind of senseless that, you know, a little kid would cry because he's bored, but that, that's what I did. I mean, there was often days that I would cry so much that they would call my mother and have her come pick me up because I was bored, which, well, 
couldn't have that happen every day. So they eventually put me in Excel so I would have an extra class and have stuff to do. So, um, yeah. But the second limitation uh, an eight has to expressing love is the idea that vulnerability prohibits their ability to accomplish their goals, to get things done. So for anyone who is not familiar with the five language, five love languages, um, these are five ways that a person gives and receives love. Um, and they are pretty, pretty self-explanatory by just by their names alone. But I do highly recommend and encourage you to read Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages, The Secret to Love That Lasts. It's really, this book really goes into depth about the each language and there are even books that he has written that are tailored to um, specific groups of people. I have also the book that is the singles editions about the five love languages. And so um, they're great books and I encourage you to read them. Um, really, really, especially the um, five love languages, the secrets to lack to love that last because if you read that book, it will really help you understand um, a lot about what I'm talking about, about these five, five love languages throughout this Reconnected series. So what are the five love languages? They are words of affirmation, quality time, physical touch, acts of service, and gifts. Like I said, they are pretty self-explanatory. Um, but to give you an example, someone whose top love, primary love language is quality time, they give and receive love and they feel the most loved through spending quality time with someone. But what classifies qual something as quality time is not just being in the same room, but what classifies as spending quality time with someone is giving someone your undivided attention. Now, this act the activity can, you can do can be different. It can be watching TV. It can be go, going through the park uh, for a walk. But what makes it different from just socializing in quality time is the fact that in quality time, you are giving somebody uh, their your undivided attention. And so that's just an example of the five love languages. Um, and a brief overview of what they all mean. Again, they, they're pretty self-explanatory. Uh, but if you want to know more, again, I encourage you to read Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages, The Secret to Love That Lasts. Um, but first, I want to start off with a ranking of the languages that I've given to type 8s. Now, this ranking is not concrete. This is my personal ranking um, based off of um, my understanding of the population of 8s and my knowledge and research about type 8s. Um, so, but this is how I would rank the five love languages according to the type eight and which ones you would see most in eights. Top one is physical touch. Second, acts of service. Third, words of affirmation. Fourth, gifts. And fifth, quality time. So I, I, I ranked physical touch as the most important love language because it relates back to an ace desire for authentic connections um, and physical touch aids in this pursuit without an eight having to express feelings and emotions 
But physical touch can also be the source of betrayal for an eight. And why did I say this? Is because for an eight, physical touch is that perfect way of meeting a real connection goal without being vulnerable and without taking feelings, talking about feelings and emotions. However, if an eight feels like you have betrayed them, they will then stop communicating using this love languages. For me, it was hugs. Um, I used to always give hugs out to people, but at a time there was um, a group of people who I knew who um, I always gave them hugs, but when I felt like they had betrayed me, it kind of made me stop giving hugs out to anyone because it's like, okay, I showed you love and this is how you treated me. so for me, mentally, that just meant communicating love through hugs meant betrayal was common. And so I stopped giving hugs because I didn't want people to betray me again. Secondly, acts of service. Now, this is my primary love language, so I love it the best. I'm kidding. But I say primary love language, and let me pause right there for a moment to say we all have a primary love language, but we all uh, exhibit and re- and experience all five love languages, love languages. But our primary language is the one that really speaks to us and really fills our love tank. Again, you will see that in Gary Chapman's books. Um, and this is such, but access service is such a important love language because apes are preoccupied by doing. They're always working towards the next task, the next goal, and they always become stressed by all the work they're doing. And so for an eight whose love language is acts of service, um, excuse me, I lost my spot in my notes. They will feel loved when you offer help because this means that you want them to accomplish their goals. Now, an eight whose love language is acts of service will freely show love in this way because they wish they are one of the types who are concerned with social justice and ensuring people can live their best life. So eights want social justice, period, but then combined with having the primary love language of acts of service, their love is always being shown because they're always they're they're always working in a way that gives you social justice they're always in the civil rights movements they're always in the communities working volunteering and stuff like that but on the other hand because of their the desire for independence and their need for control apes will be reluctant to receiving love in this manner um I know that for me, I don't really freely receive help. Um, Now, don't get me wrong. I appreciate it when somebody helps me out. I really feel loved when somebody says, oh, and I'll allow them to help me and with the tasks that I'm working on. But oftentimes it takes somebody asking me multiple times or even forcing the help upon me before I really allow them to help me. Um, So just not open to it because of this factor of independence uh, and control. I don't, I'm not really open, and this can ring true for a lot of apes, not really open to just freely allowing somebody helping me out. 
thirdly, words of affirmation. Um, who doesn't like, I mean, you, I like it, you like it. I mean, who doesn't like affirming words every now and then? It's, it just rings true. It's human nature to want to be affirmed by other people. There is, there's a little, but there's a little difference between giving love and receiving love for an eight who has this as their primary love language. Eights with this love language will often speak affirming words that will empower you to a better life. Whereas when they receive this through this love language, they would like to be assured that what they're doing that their efforts are of good nature. They so let me put it this way: A squirrel affirm, speak affirming words that empower you, but they don't want you to speak words that empower them. They want you to speak words that assure them that they're doing the right thing. So they ace with the primary love language of words of affirmation. Give love by speaking empowerment but they receive love by receiving encouragement or ensure or assurance fourth is gifts let me just say i, I rank gifts solo because oftentimes gifts are very superficial um and for eights who desire authentic relationships and want authenticity with other people. Unless the gift is very thought out and has real meaning to it, and there's a real deep connection for the reason of the gift, then again, just speaking from experience, it probably won't affect the eight. But again, I, I probably have no, I probably really don't have much authority to speak on this from experience because gifts is the least of my love languages. Um, so but at the same time, a lot of polling and a lot of other people, again, a lot of other people who talk about the Enneagram kind of agree on me on this. Um, I remember seeing something. I, I don't remember where I saw it or but I I remember seeing where somebody pulled pulled their Instagram followings followers um, about eights and love languages and gifts was actually the smallest piece of the pie chart representing the poll results. So again, gifts for an eight just seem superficial and really just don't really show love. So yeah. But lastly, um, quality time. If eights seek real connection in their relationships and quality time is a way of getting real connection in their relationship, why did I rank quality times last for an eight? Well, here's why. It's a very simple answer. Quality time prohibits getting things done. It requires an eight to slow down, which is opposite of their need 
to always be working, which is opposite of their need to accomplish goals. So that's why. Because, again, in quality time, you have to give somebody your undivided attention. And so that's just not the thing for A's. A's always are thinking of 20,000 different things at once, 20,000 different tasks, ideas, what's next on the calendar. And quality time makes them slow down, which prohibits getting things done. And so, again, that's just kind of where I see the love languages and in um, working with the type eight. Uh, but I want to move on with the compat- compatibility of eights and the other types. Um, but before I move on talking about the compatibility with eights and other types, I, I want to note that the love languages are a case-by-case situation. And the ranking that I have presented is only a personal opinion based off of research and my prior knowledge um, of the love languages and the eight population. Uh, but in reality, if somebody actually did a code, ho- code heart study on this, this ranking might actually be completely different than what I've said. So just know that, that this ranking is only my personal opinion. But if you see that as true, well, then that means I'm pretty good at my job. I know I covered a lot of information already, but so I'll try to get through this compatibility section very quickly. Um, But before I begin to talk about the ACE compatibility with other types, I just want to take a moment to define what is compatibility in relevance with uh, the Enneagram. So compatibility is the understanding of each type's compatibility of existing together in harmony in accordance with their core type, their core emotion, their understanding of the world, and their stress and security numbers. And now, these compatibilities are not like, this is what I have to follow in order to find my my meat, but this, this is just a good overview of how, kind of what each type's relationship is like. Now, any type is compatible with a type eight, especially if both individuals are willing to work towards a common shared goal within the relationship that will strengthen the relationship. All right, so let's start off with the first couple, which is the eight and one coupling. This coupling involves two people who are very energetic and both focus, but both both have a different focus. One's focus on the problem, whereas eights focus on the solution. They both have a deep concern for fighting for truth and justice, which makes them both and will willing to do anything that will change the world for the better. The, both of these types are always protecting the defenseless, always protecting the underserved, and they both treat themselves fully and well when the hard work is done. There is a difference, however, in how this is in how this fight for truth and justice is done. So ones do it in an ideal way. They are the type to say what laws and policies, what rules and regulations can be changed that will not only affect the current people, but also it help 
the future generations. Whereas apes, they are practical minded, which means that they will focus mainly on what can be done for the people here and now. Not necessarily focusing on, all right, what laws and policies can I change that way? Future generations can also experience this new way of living. So that's where the difference for this couple comes in. Unfortunately, for this couple, it tends to be more true that they, they it's easier for them to be friends than it is for them to be a romantic couple. But at their best, this couple is very hospitable and very family-oriented. All right, so now I want to move on to talk about the it and two couple. And this couple creates a passionate and energetic couple that has a desire for creating fun and inserting a powerful compassion into the world. Both the eight and two like to lead people to healing and to goodness. Both eight and two are action oriented and want to have a personal impact on their environment. The eights benefit from the tenderness. They benefit benefit from the affection they benefit from the awareness of feelings that the two has to offer them but just like the ones they both have a different emphasis twos are primarily interested in in the welfare of others whereas eights are primarily interested in their own physical well-being and having a distinct impact on their world even more ideological disconnect comes in with this couple when it comes to determining how other people fit into the picture of their relationship because twos are very people oriented and eights are practical minded twos want to have more people involved in a relationship but eights are like okay maybe more people does not strengthen our relationship what what's practical for us the the eight and two couple is one of the best two couplings of the enneagram but if they do not focus on serving each other Either one of them or both of them may feel jaded. They may they, they they may feel left behind in this mad rush to be competitively the best. It also does this couple well to not to not to deny any hidden stress that's under the surface. Talk about what's causing you, you stress individually and stress as a couple. Bring it to light. All right, so the eight and three couple. The eight and three couple are both larger than life types who stand out in the social circle um, this can cause them to either form an alliance that enhances the relationship or to become more competitive in the relationship and this competitiveness can and will keep them apart unfortunately that's just the cold hard truth about it uh, but this is the biggest that's that's really the biggest problem about this couple because honestly eights and threes have a lot of positive qualities about themselves uh, about about them as a couple as a couple they're both people who are assertive and they go after what they want in life and they tend to be workaholics um, and the greatest thing about this relationship is that the eights Strength and solidity gives the three permission to be more heartfelt. And it's, that's just 
I, that I admire that for this couple. But just like, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me. There's always a yin to the yang. There's always good to the bad. There's always light to the dark. And that rings true even still in this couple. Both of these types can be very can become very manipulative towards each other, which can eat away at their trust and openness. Eights also want support from the cells, whereas threes want to know that their development, their progress is admired by the other person. And this can cause a support battle. Who's supporting who? Am I the eight supporting you, the three? Or, or am I the three supporting you, the eight? And if there's no compromise in the support issue, if there's no saying, all right, here's who's supporting who in this situation. I'm supporting you here. You're supporting me. If there's no compromise, the issue of support can lead to a very nasty and personal breakup in this couple. So there needs to be a compromise. But not only that, there needs to be some communication skills to be developed in this relationship. Because if there's not communication on this behalf of support, then this couple will have a very nasty and personal breakup. Now, there's no two other types of the Enneagram who value honesty so much that they will do whatever it costs to have it other than type 8 and type 4. The 8 and 4 couple have a desire for honesty, like I said, that will cause them to have it at no matter the cost. And fours depend on the eights practicality. They depend on the eights protection. They de depend on the eights provision. Whereas eights depend on the fours sensitivity and their mysterious sense of challenge. Both the eight and four are attracted to each other's vulnerability and hidden, hidden qualities. Now, both of these types are the most intense and passionate numbers of the Enneagram who have the most intense and emotional responses, which can cause some toxic habits to habits to develop within the relationship. Because the eight and four couple get excite, emotional excitement from the habit, from the pattern of fighting and making up, this that it can form a very toxic habit where they're always fighting just to make up because they can experience this emotional high, this emotional excitement so it is very important for this eight and four couple to find love and supporting them but it's also important that this eight and four couple develops and finds healthy ways of communicating in their relationship if they want to stay together next the eight and five comp the eight and five couple are very comp a very is a very complimentary um, couple they have reciprocal talents to each other, um, for example, the the eight has a need for the five's ability to move slowly and to think on all the information before acting. And not only, and both of these types feel like misfits, but they also have a common insistence on independence and non-interference from other people. Um, and they both understand each other's vulnerabilities um, their emotional core in an unspoken way. And they both need personal space. So as a couple, they bring power, they bring depth, they bring action, they bring thoughtfulness, they bring brilliance to their world. 
like I said, this is a very complicated couple, but they both understand each other's vulnerabilities so well that if provoked enough, they will attack each other's vulnerabilities to protect themselves. But the thing that I love the most about this eight and five couple is this, that, that is that the eight's past agony is safe within the five. Um, the five doesn't demand any more emotion, emotion than the eight is willing and able to give. And so, and that's the thing that I really love about this eight and five couple is that the five understands that the eight is may not be willing to give this, this amount of emotion. So I won't ask it of them. All right, eight and sixes. Eight and sixes can build a very extraordinarily strong, long-lasting relationship that is rooted in this defensive view of the world. But timing is the biggest issue for this couple because eights are future-oriented thinking people. They always thinking, what can I do in the next? What what how can the future look like this? What can I get? do to get to this in the future what is there to do next whereas sixes are present oriented minded thinking people they think of the here and now what what am i feeling right now what what, what is the situation right now what can i do now is how the six thinks so timing is probably the biggest issue of this eight and six relationship uh, because they both have more qualities alike than they have different both the six and eight have deep trust issues and they both feel the world is selfish. They both feel the world is untrustworthy. They both feel the world is highly unpredictable. But when it when it comes to, you know, this relationship begin to take the wrong turn, it can the source of this wrong turn moment can be the lack of trust, the lack of trust and respect that they have for each other. This constant testing um, that they feel is happening. So bringing to light that one or both feels like there's a lack of trust, there's a lack of support, uh, there's a lack of, lack of respect in relationship, bringing that to light will help aid in the healthiness of this relationship. The eight and seven share a lot of qualities. They are both extremely outspoken. This the eight and seven coupling can get a lot of and a lot of tremendous things done. Um, they, because they are both revitalized by doing, they're always active, they're always on the move, um, they're always working towards the next thing. So they they can accomplish a lot of things together because of this need to be active. And they both have a sense for uh adventurous they, they both are adventuresome they are both willing to try new things and in, in the relationship but they also both have busy schedules and because they have busy schedules it's important for them to remember that talking about painful emotions may not feel safe it may not feel comfortable but talking about these painful emotions is absolutely necessary for true growth in their relationship all right so just want to take a moment to pause right now. Breathe. I know there's a lot of information in this episode alone. There's a lot of information just alone on the compatibility, but just let's just take a moment to breathe, to take it all in. 
All right, we have two more types. Let's talk about the double A pair. Double A pair has a lot of passion. The double A pair has a lot of energy, a lot of vitality. And this double A pair can build a very significant empire of some sort together. And because they both feel that they have unshakable support in, you, in each other, they can also be generous and open-hearted to others. But this double A pair can also be a very volatile couple. The issue of control, because again, eights have this desire for independence. They have this desire for dominance. So the issue of control is a center of conflict. It's a center of most, if not all, conflicts in a relationship. Who is in control? Will and is the reason for a lot of conflict in a relationship, which causes their relationship to be very volatile and very reactive. So healthy communication of who is dominant in this case of a relationship needs to take place before they are torn apart by this need of dominance. All right, the last couple, the eight and nine couple. This couple is one of the most mutually beneficial couples of the Enneagram. Nines benefit from learning from the eight about having their own agenda and knowing what's theirs to handle. They also learn from an eight self-confidence and self-assertion, self-assertion. But the eight also learns from the nine. The eights learn from nines of a sense of calmness. They learn a sense of stability from a nine. Nines also teach an eight about which battles are worth fighting for and how not to push so hard. This eight and nine couple can be very dynamic and powerful. They can be very comfortable, very receptive. But again, just like everything else there's a yin to the yang there's a light to the dark there's good to the bad this couple too has good and bad and the biggest problem for this couple is this moment of deterioration this moment of disintegration because as they begin to dis deteriorate they both move in different directions Eights push harder while nines withdraw and shut down. And th this is the reason why a lot of lower functioning eights see nines as obstructionists to the plans. And this is why nines who are lower functioning nines see eights as too bossy, as too controlling. So this has to be taken care of in order to, you know, understanding that they both go opposite ways as they begin to deteriorate because of stress has to be communicated in a relationship for there to be a healthy relationship for these two. All right. Now, I know I've thrown a lot of information at you. I know there's been a lot of information about how ace love, the compatibility, motivations behind their love and all of that. But I feel like all this information has been necessary for you to understand this moment of reconnection of how can an eight reconnect with themselves? How can an eight reconnect with others? How can others reconnect with an eight I've thrown all that information out there so you can understand the core of this series, the core of this episode, the reconnection moment. So with no further ado, let's let's talk about this reconnection moment. So I want to take a moment 
in this before we actually talk about how eights can reconnect with themselves and others and vice versa to just point out that reconnection is not just for the estranged relationships but it's also for your current relationships um, that you want to make better and for your future relationships that you want to strengthen before you even begin to form them so um take heed to this information please use it now use it in future begin to think about your mentality and how you can make yourself a better person use this this, this is not a, a a be all end all type of thing but this is only advice i would hope that you would use this as you dig into your toolbox of things to become a better person because that's what the enneagram is about it's about having a tool about box of ideas and advices and uh, things to help you build yourself to become a better person all right so yeah remember that that reconnection is just not for the estranged relationships but it's for all relationships now i want to take a moment just to talk to the eights out there if you're an eight and you're and as you seek reconnection it's important for you to understand that vulnerability is not a weakness but rather vulnerability is a strength and let me just say this as an eight myself this statement rings true i've experienced as an eight moments of vulnerability that it has even though it felt icky reflecting on that moment made me gain strength and i really like what suzanne stabile said in her book the path between us and this is what she said though it will be counterintuitive it is vital for apes to realize that bringing your relationship that bringing your feelings into balance as you encounter others will be beneficial to you and to those in relationship with you like i said as an ape myself I can attest how important the importance of this is. The importance of this statement, the importance of vulnerability being a strength and not a weakness, because I've been on a journey to redefine my vulnerability for about two years now. And as I've become, like I said, as I become more vulnerable, it's made me feel so much better about myself. And it has given me a dynamic to my relationships that, quite frankly, I just would never had, never had 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 I not. become more vulnerable. So I want to offer this piece of advice to you eights out there. As if you're an eight, as you reconnect with yourself, and it's quite important that you reconnect with yourself before you be before you can reconnect with other people. Um, but my advice for you eights out there, as you reconnect with yourself is that you see your emotions in play understand how your emotions are effect affecting your connections also understand how the emotions of other people affect your willingness to connect with them build a bridge that will be the start to a healthy relationship take a moment to just take that information in Close your eyes, breathe in deep. Notice your emotions currently at play.
Do you feel calm? Do you feel anger? Do you feel joy? Or do you feel confusion? Start right now by seeing your emotions at play. All right. So now, if you're not an eight, I want to talk to you right now. If you're one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, or nine on the Enneagram, I want to talk to you right now. Now, I want you to understand that it may not seem like it, but eights are deeply emotional people. But the thing is that they're hiding their emotions under a shell. And this shell is like, it's like a hundred layers of just thick metal that they're hiding underneath. So my advice to you, to all those who are not an eight is this. As you seek to reconnect with an eight, just be patient, be mindful, stand up for yourself and communicate. Be patient in connecting with an eight. It's going to take some time before your relationship with an eight doesn't feel distant. Because again, they are hiding their emotions under a shell that is so thick. They value their vulnerability and they don't want to lose it so quickly. Also, be mindful that oftentimes eights are unaware of how they are affecting people. They, they are future-minded, so usually they're not presently thinking about, okay, my thoughts and my actions affected this person this way, but rather they're thinking about, all right, this is how the future can move. This is how we move towards a better future. So be mindful of that. Be mindful that they are often not aware of how they are presently affecting people. But also, stand up for yourself. There's nothing more that will make you feel invisible to an eight, to an eight than being indirect with them. Eights desire and crave straightforwardness. So communicate in a way that is straightforward. Again, let's just breathe. Breathe in deep. Take a moment taking all this advice all this information let it just saturate you saturate your mind right now begin to think on how can you use this information to better relationships with yourself with others oh so good so good, right? So good, I know. We need to take more time to, honestly, I do myself, but I feel like just as, as as humans appear, we need to, and as Americans especially, we need to take more time to just relax, to take in the moment and breathe. So good. All right. I know that this episode um, is a long episode. It's longer than 
any other episodes I have previously produced. Um, and quite frankly, I'll, probably all of the episodes of this Reconnection series will be longer than the typical 30 to 40 minute episode that I produce for this podcast. And simply because there's a lot of information that has to be put into these episodes. But I hope that you have learned something. I hope that what I have presented to you in this episode and will present in the future episodes of this Reconnection series is that you will begin to build a healthy relationship with an eight. That you'll be, that in the future episodes that you begin to build a healthy relationship with ones, with twos, with all of the Enneagram types and with yourself. It's a lot of information, I know. But I just hope that you learn from it, that you begin to feel reconnected with yourself. You begin to feel reconnected with the other types. That's the whole point of this series is to find reconnection through the Enneagram. Well, that's all I have for this week's episode of Enneagram Restore Podcast. Once again, thank you for listening and don't miss next week's show. The Reconnector series is just getting started and next week is time for type nine to get reconnected. All right. And remember that the Enneagram does not define you, but it does bring restoration. It helps reshape your thinking and habits. <laughs>